Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are very excited to be joined by the hosts of the Dopey Dudes podcast, Frank Hart and Jimmy Styles. Guys, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Sean. How you doing, man? Guys, thanks for having us here. So we were, uh, before we came on, we were talking about hockey, and um, Frank is a big uh, St. Louis Blues fan. I'm a big Islanders fan, so I know we're both kind of anxious to get this episode out there. There's a lot of hockey to watch uh, tonight, Frank. I think the big surprise for all of us, we were talking about it before, Tampa Bay. Uh, what? I, I don't know, man. I, I can't put my finger on that one. I can't either. That's my. Uh, that's actually my Eastern Conference team. Uh, you know, I lived in Florida for a while, so those are the guys I followed, and Man, that's a heartbreaker right there. I know, but hey, that's that's why you got to play uh, all six. You got to win those sixteen games to win that cup. No trophy for favorites, certainly. Uh, now that we've gotten the hockey talk out of the way for the evening, time to talk about uh, the MCU. Uh, big opening this week is, of course, Avengers Endgame. We've been doing the lead up for the last couple of last weeks. Couple. You know, yeah, leading into. The, I, I would imagine. Or, do you guys have tickets for Thursday night? Oh yeah. Yeah? yeah, cool. What- I mean, despite that whole you know debacle that it was trying to get tickets, I don't know how it was up by you, but at least down here, like there was a mess with the AMC app and Fandango, uh, really? so I didn't even get to use like my A list ticket that I you know that I usually get. Like I'm seeing it at theater down here. Uh, I don't know if you have them up there. They're called Sinopolis, but it's kind of like a luxury theater. All the seats recline. You have waiter service, stuff like that. But oh, I'm not yeah. seeing it till about 11 p.m. at night or something like that. So I won't be out till. Three o'clock in the morning. Oof, yeah, Frank. I hope you don't have work the next day. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I do until uh, the night, so I'll be able to sleep in. All right, okay, not nice. bad. Frank, what about you? Are you seeing it on Thursday? I am. Um, I uh, I did not have the problems Jimmy had. I actually tried to help him out and buy tickets for him, but when I did, whatever reason, that Orlando area was just crazy. But yeah, eleven fifteen, and then I also bought Saturday, so going twice. Nice. Yeah, we we didn't have a ton of problems getting our tickets. We're we're going to an A, and it's an AMC. That's the weird thing. We're going to an AMC here on the island, and uh, we it was kind of painless. I mean, the only thing that kind of stinks about it is we're sitting in the uh, second row from the front, but we have the reclining seats, so we're gonna make it work. But we're really excited. Well, to we bought see them it. late too. I think that's why we didn't have a problem getting tickets because we were waiting on your work schedule, so we weren't yeah. on there as soon as they went on sale. Yeah, but that's, that's why we ended up with second row. Right. Well, I'm, hey, we're in. I don't I, care. I'm just we're happy in. to be there. Yeah. I'm just happy to be there. I can't wait. Um, so let's talk about the MCU for just a minute. Uh, for those who listened last week when we did our review of Age of Ultron. We had Pat Gessner back on the show. We asked him a couple of questions about the MCU. So we want to toss this out here to Jimmy and Frank. So I guess we'll we'll go Jimmy and then Frank just to make it easy. What is your favorite film in the MCU? For the longest time, it was Captain America Winter Soldier. It was just my favorite. Uh, it just had so many far-reaching kind of aspects, whether it went to, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and kind of how it brought down S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that stuff. So it was... Uh, Winter Soldier for a long time till Infinity War came out. Once Avengers Infinity War came out, that it leapfrogged it and went right to the top of the list. Yeah, uh, there's a reason Jimmy and I are good friends because we have a <laughs> viewpoint there. Um, I also thought Winter Soldier was my favorite until Infinity War came out. But honestly, if I had to uh, coin toss it, Ragnarok would be up there too. 
Nice. Yeah, Ragnarok was a surprise. It was it was such a turn for the Thor franchise, especially because, and I know we sort of share the same opinion as you in regards to Thor The Dark World. Um, oh, God, it's so bad. Right? Yeah. What a letdown that movie was, because the first Thor movie is is really good. So to go from, from one to two, and then you take the total shift with, with the third movie was unexpected, but I welcomed it. I kind of liked that tongue-in-cheek kind of Guardians feel to it, and, I mean, you can't go wrong with Led Zeppelin. Well, we kind of talked about that last week a little bit, was that I think following the Dark Knight, and, I, you know, I just mean comic book movies in general, uh, they started taking themselves very, very seriously. They went to really dark places, and I think that this was one of the first, other than Guardians, where they started to loosen up a bit and have a lot more fun. All right, so next question for you. Your favorite character in the MCU. Can I say Thanos? Sure you can. I just loved the way he was portrayed in this movie. Like it was he was so spot on. Like I know Black Panther got nominated for Best Picture and all that, but I, I thought Infinity War should have been nominated over that. Josh Brolin should have gotten nominated for best at least best supporting actor, if not best lead actor, just wow. for the way he played that. But I mean on top of on top of Thanos, I mean if you're going just basic Avengers, I love, you know, Tony Stark and Captain America, Steve Rogers and uh, and the way Tom Holland plays Spider-Man is just so perfect, even after, you know, we got those weird Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield movies. Yeah, Jimmy, um, you know, for me, Th- Thanos was always one of the uh, my he he's one of my favorite characters in the MCU for sure. I was always a huge Vader fan. Like Vader was always my like favorite villain to go to. And Thanos may have, you know, taken his place in my fan ranking of favorite villains. Thanos may have outdone Vader for me. So that's how much I liked him. But, you know, the other character, and we just talked about him, was Thor. He went from being a character I could care less about to probably one of my favorites because of Ragnarok. Like, I have a man crush on Chris Hemsworth because, <laughs> because of how he portrayed him in the last couple films. And, uh, I mean, and obviously Chris Evans is always great as Cap. We enjoy talking about these these films on our show here. And... We're so happy to finally have you guys on here, but suffice to say, and it's not meant to sound like a negative, but you two guys are obsessed with this movie. That's why we were so excited to get you on. For those of you who haven't listened to them before, first off, what are you doing? You got to give these guys a listen. I love the Dopey Dudes, and I'll let you guys explain you know, the format of your show in just a moment here. But aside from doing a straight review of the movie... You guys did one of the coolest things I've ever experienced in a podcast. You did an audio commentary start to finish with this film. Yeah, that was a long podcast. It was like, you know, I mean, we we basically told, you know, our listeners, all right, we're hitting play now. And we kind of did our own commentary of Infinity War. And, uh, you know, we, we took some parts we took seriously, some parts, you know, we kind of just joked around with. But that's one of probably one of my favorite shows that Frank and I have ever done. That's brilliant. That was probably the most fun episode I've listened to. And you guys have a lot of great shows out there. But it was just something unique about I felt like the listener could engage with you guys. And I, I guess that's what you were going for there. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted them to, you know, sit down and, you know, actually watch the movie and maybe mute the movie and put us on. Or even if, you know, they're listening to the show, driving back and forth to work, 
like, you know, listening to our podcast, maybe not watching the movie, but knowing exactly what's going on. Cool. All right. So why don't you guys go ahead and explain the format of your show for our listeners who aren't quite familiar with the Dopey Dudes? Frank, you want to take this or you want me to go with it? Uh, we could we could combo it if you want. Why don't, why don't you go ahead and let's get your take? <laughs> All right. Well, I like the the way we try to do our show is just uh, we, we cover a lot of different things in kind of nerd culture. Um, you know, we talk about movies, television. Hey, there's a puppy. Um, we'll talk about that. Um, movies, television, uh, the Disney theme parks. I live right here in Orlando. Frank regulars coming down here to Orlando. So we go to the parks fairly often. Um We'll talk about uh, doing run Disney and run Disney races and running in general. Uh, but we really just want it to feel like you're having a regular conversation amongst friends. Right, Frank? Yeah, that was the big thing when we first kind of started talking about it is, you know, we go see these movies. And because we don't live in the same area, the first thing we do is get out of the theater, start texting each other. Right. We'd have a group text with some friends or we'd call each other and we just some of those conversations that we had were a lot of fun and really interesting. And we wanted to kind of share that with everyone else. So that's, uh, that kind of spearheaded it. And then obviously with the, uh, the running background, you know, that we have. And so we touch on that a little bit, but, um, it's a lot of fun just discussing the things that kind of pop in our heads. Right. And, and the title dopey dudes plays hand in hand with the run Disney thing, because, you guys are on the WDW radio running team. So am I. That's how I met you guys for the first time mm-hmm. back at Wine and Dime when we did the half of a half back in 2015, I think it was. That was the rain-shortened one, the lightning storm. Obviously, Dopey Dudes being uh, in conjunction with running uh, the Dopey Challenge at Walt Disney World. And Frank, uh, you're perfect Dopey, aren't you? I am. Yeah. I went uh, uh, through an ACL injury and walked it, but... I, uh, I'm still perfect as of now. That's and I awesome. just, just registered again today. Knock on wood. So we'll, like, we'll see how it goes this time. Awesome. Well, congratulations. And I'm, and I'm not that dumb. I've only done three of them. So, <laughs> and, I've, and, I've, and I've sworn them off for a couple of years. I'm kind of taking a break. I, I, I don't need to do that full marathon. I'm good just standing there on the boardwalk and cheering, waiting for Frank to get to that point. As much as I'd love to do it, I don't know that I could do a full marathon in conjunction with all the other races. I mean, I don't think I could do a full marathon on my own, much less. You did run Wine and Dine and then do Magic Kingdom in the same day. I'm still not sure how you're alive after that. Neither am I. Us doing Magic Kingdom is like a marathon in itself. That might be what the hardest part of kind of running Dopey is, is that, like, you know, me, I'm local. But, you know, I have all these friends here visiting, like Frank and, you know, our friend Liz and Danielle and Chris, where after they run their races, they want their park time. Right. So, you know, they're running a 5K, 10K, half marathon and full marathon. Usually the full marathon day, we don't really hit up the park. But, um, you know, after these races, they're like, all right, come on, let's go to the park for a few hours. I think the day that I did that, my Fitbit had clocked me at like 31 miles. I thought your Fitbit was going to explode. Yeah, between the race (laughs) and then the day we did the Magic Kingdom. Yeah. But all right, great. Well, I'm I'm excited to get into this. I'm also excited, uh, you know, eventually to get back down and do another Disney race with you guys. Um, Hopefully we set that up in the next year or so. Fingers crossed. That's my hope. Um, But until then, uh, we're going to have to settle with talking about Infinity War. As I said, I know you guys hate this. (laughs) 
Uh, so we're just going to launch right into it for those of you who have been following us for the last couple of weeks. Um, we are doing linear reviews for these movies because there is just so much going on um, that there really is only one way that you could do it. Otherwise, it would just be me talking for 20 straight minutes before anybody got a chance to inject their opinion. So uh, the movie begins with a slaughter of Asgardians on a starship at the hands of Thanos in an attempt to get the Tesseract and uh, also the Space Stone. The Hulk unsuccessfully battles Thanos before being sent to Earth by Heimdall, who uses the Bifrost to do so before being killed by Thanos. Loki gives Thanos the Tesseract, who extracts the Space Stone. Loki then attempts to kill Thanos before falling victim to Thanos' reign of terror, uh, and then the ship explodes, sending Thor into space. This was probably the most brutal death, not just physically, but also from a fan perspective, seeing Loki get bumped off. And it happens in the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah, I think this is one of the most powerful openings we've seen in any of these movies. And I love that right up until the last second, you really don't know which side Loki is playing. I I love that about his character. Yeah, but so is he really dead, though? No, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> I, I honestly, actually, I really think he is dead. Uh, but who knows? Because now, you know, for Disney Plus, he's Loki's apparently getting his own series. We don't know when it's going to be set, but you know, he's going to be getting his own series. I thought this was the perfect introduction for Thanos, just to kind of show you exactly how powerful he is. You know, he he battled the Hulk, and Hulk lost easily, or I should say, Thanos won easily. Um, and he just showed you how absolutely ruthless he is in killing Heimdall just for sending the Hulk away in the Bifrost and then, you know, killing Loki. Uh, Frank, what do you think of this one? Yeah, I agree, Jimmy. I think uh, is establishing his strength, because up till this point, nothing has beat the Hulk, right? The Hulk is, he's even jumping at, um, at the monster in Ragnarok. Like, he's like, it's a big monster. I got to fight him, right? But, you know, all of a sudden, he can't take down Thanos, which causes, you know, obviously, as we get going throughout the film, it's, you know, some comedy relief between him and Banner. But uh, uh, I, I thought it was a great opening. And um, a lot of people have even you know hinted that, you know, oh, he had the power stone. Maybe he used it. But if you watch it as many times as we have, you notice that the stone doesn't glow. That's all Thanos just, you know, beating him down. And that is why we have you guys on here. That's that's really uh, a really good observation yeah. I, it's not something that i thought of yeah. as much as we enjoy the films like we wouldn't have i would have never up picked that. up on that well frank and i've watched this probably you know at least 15 20 times each so it's like we're <laughs> like there are parts when i'm watching the movie where i'm not really watching the movie like i'm looking at the background or you know just kind of looking in you know not what you're supposed to be focusing on just to you know see if there's anything kind of hidden there I think one of the things that's so distracting for me, and it's also one of the things that makes it so brilliant, is Ma's opening speech in this scene. Because, uh, you know, he opens with the, you know, you should be honored, you're about to give your life for Thanos. And the delivery is so creepy. And it's like the beginning of a horror movie. Frank and I have discussed it. The, The Ma should be, I wish he would have been a villain. In a different MCU movie. Right. Because he was so good. Like, I don't want to say he was wasted in this one because he was great in it. But I felt like it, like it's 
it kind of sucked that he left or he died so early. Yeah, you do kind of want more of him because even when they bring in the Hulk and he's like, let him have his fun. Like he's not even phased by it. And it's just such a great moment of character development really early on. And it kind of plays out in the coming scenes, uh, you know, in his first battle with Doctor Strange, which, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. Go ahead. So Bruce Banner crash lands at the Sanctum Sanctorum and tells Doctor Strange and Wong that Thanos is coming. And it's one of the few times I can recall where you actually do see a lot of panic in Bruce's face. I mean, we know, obviously, that he has struggled up to this point with keeping the Hulk at bay, um, and and he kind of has that inner struggle. But for the most part, I've never seen him... I've never... I don't recall ever seeing him panic quite like this. And Ruffalo... As much as I like Edward Norton, and we mentioned this a few weeks ago, Ruffalo was perfect casting here because he pulls it off so well. Yeah. Yeah, I've always liked Ruffalo as, as Hulk here. Uh, and I, I, even when in The Incredible Hulk, I thought Edward Norton was good. Uh, you know, I wish there would have been a little more continuity there. You know, we should have just had the same actor like we've had so far. Uh, well, I mean, you know, War Machine was a little different. But yeah, like it, Ruffalo's just perfect. Yeah, I agree with you. As far as like a major player in the universe, I mean, not that War Machine's not, but yeah, I, I kind of wish we would have had the same actor, but I think he's a better banner. Yeah, Especially I think so. for this film, because he doesn't transform as much, so he's he's a little bit more wimpy. Right, but I think seeing as you're taking the Hulk element out of the Hulk, mm-hmm. you need an actor that's strong enough to carry the character through the film. It's not that Edward Norton couldn't do it, but, I mean, Ruffalo does it so well because he is exactly. so talented. Exactly. Um, so Doctor Strange shows up in Central Park with Bruce to recruit Tony Stark, who is having one of those Tony Stark quarrels with Pepper Potts um, as they're kind of arguing about what their life is going to be once the Avengers are sort of done. And I think at, at this point, he kind of assumes that the Avengers are basically done. Wong explains how the Big Bang set the Infinity Stones across the universe. Bruce explains that with two stones, Thanos is the most powerful being in the universe, but he's after all six. And Strange is protecting the Time Stone. They need Vision's help, but he's gone offline and Steve Rogers may be the only person who can find him. Uh, Before Tony can call him, Maw and Obsidian arrive to retrieve the Time Stone, which catches the attention of Peter Parker, who joins in the fight. Strange is captured, but because of a spell, is able to protect the Time Stone. Iron Man and Spider-Man, because they are now in their battle garb, go after Maw's ship and end up in space, so Bruce calls Steve Rogers. I love in this scene, a number of things. First, Stark's nanotech. Because yeah. Pepper says to him he didn't need that he he didn't need that that item in his chest anymore. It's not guarding the shrapnel. Right. And you don't really know exactly what it's going to do. But I love how it kind of just becomes like a skin around him. It's no longer just armor that he's able to put on. And it shows just, I mean, not that we don't know this already, but it shows how brilliant Tony Stark is, and he's just a step ahead of everybody else. Yeah, I like that he's still evolving his superhero suit, really. So you can say Tony Stark's kind of ahead of everybody else, but if you really think about it, they had that nanotech in Wakanda first. Very so, true. 
you know, Shuri kind of made that suit out in the necklace for uh, for Black Panther. So, but I like I, that kind of made me think where they said at the in the one scene at the end of Black Panther, you know, we're gonna start kind of sharing our knowledge with the world. That's kind of what they that's kind of you know how Tony Stark learned about that. I, I really like the tech suit. I think um, I think there's a scene in the movie where he says like. Hey, it's nanotech. I and then he like gets interrupted because he gets punched. So it's kind of you kind of wonder if he got it from uh, if he got it from Wakanda or not. The technology uh, they don't really say, but I, I think the scene overall is really good. I love uh, the interaction between Doctor Strange and Ebony Maw. That's some yeah. of my where he's just like you know basically telling Doctor Strange you know you you do parlor tricks. I'm a real you know I'm a real magician if you will when he like you know puts him into the wall and uh tries to take the stone it, it's just a great scene and then of course the uh the whole the hulk trying to come out and the interaction between uh bruce and tony where they're like dude you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards that whole wizards thing is great yeah. yeah to touch on what frank said i totally agree this is where we see more great character development for ma because aside from he starts delivering his creepy speech again the power is just effortless. Like where you kind of see Doctor Strange and even Iron Man like kind of revving up their suits and their gear or their magic, whatever you want to call it. He's just like flipping it, waving his hand and something happens. And, uh, you know, it's it's just effortless. It's crazy. Um, and I, I love that there's the Tony snarkiness throughout this entire scene. And what's interesting is that Banner can't bring the Hulk to the table and he's trying. And it shows that even now you're this this would be the fifth film with the Hulk. Yeah. He still is battling that inner monster. He's still battling that inner creature. And you don't know if he's ever really gonna be able to control him. And I like that he hasn't been able to just come and go as he pleases and that he still has that inner struggle with him. I think that it it humanizes banner so much and i think that's what makes him so relatable because otherwise he's so brilliant that how do you relate to somebody of that kind of magnitude in terms of their intelligence what i love is how the humor really shines through because they're kind of downplaying it like banner can't get it up that's (laughs) how the scene reads to me you talk viagra right (laughs) and didn't he it's a little green pill yeah And, and didn't he say something didn't tony stark make a joke about performance issues like he, it was a quick little throwaway line i think or i thought it was you're embarrassing me in front of the wizard there was that but he said something else i don't remember exactly what it was there's but. so much going on i mean the dopey dudes will probably know there's so much flying back and forth that that's not something i would have picked up on and it's see now it's interesting that you bring that up because upon my first viewing of this movie um, this is where, and I'm interested to get your opinions as well, Jimmy and Frank. Um, I personally started to get what I would call a quote unquote walking dead feel. And by that, I mean, in, in these more recent seasons of the walking dead, it seems like the characters, you never really see them all together anymore. They're thrown in four or five different places. Budget and issues. well, yeah, I mean, it's budgetary, but from a television show perspective, I feel like there's four different stories going on. And I kind of started to get a feeling that that's what was happening here. And it was kind of at this point that I also knew to fully understand this movie, I was going to have to watch it multiple times 
So I'm interested to see what your opinion is of that and how you took this the first time you saw it. Um, I mean, I was kind of, I was okay with it, with everybody not being in, I mean, I, I figured eventually we'd get, you know, the Avengers and the Guardians and everybody kind of in the same playing field. And I mean, we partially did, partially did, but uh, I, I just thought it was an interesting way that they went about kind of, you know, mixing around everybody because, you know, at first you had, you know, Tony Stark and uh, Doctor Strange. And then later on, you've got Spider-Man and then, you know, you had Thor and the Guardians and then it's just Thor and Groot and uh, Rocket. And, you know, it's just and then the rest of the Guardians met Tony Stark and everybody else. It was just an interesting way that they kind of mixed everybody around. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but it to me, it's very similar to like a, a Star Wars movie. Where, you know, like Take Empire Strikes Back, where you've got Han and Leia, uh, you know, when they leave Hoth, everybody kind of goes their own way, right? They're on the meteor, Luke's in Dagobah, you got the Emperor doing his thing with Vader. You know, you've got, you know, these different segments of movies, but they all come together in a, in a great way in the end. Um, obviously, this one, you know, you never get the Guardians with, like, Cap or something like that, but we'll get that in the, in the next film. But you do start to get some of that, you know... Um, uh, the meeting of the minds, if you will, on Wakanda, you know, especially when like Thor shows up and everything else towards the end. So uh, I, I like the way it was it was put together like that. I thought it flowed well. I agree. I agree that in the end it does kind of come full circle because you do. Ha I mean, at the end of the day, they're all battling for the same cause. Um, but I do agree with you, too, where in the beginning it does feel a little disjointed, although for the first cut, it really works when you're transitioning from the fight that Tony and Spider-Man and Bruce Banner just had. And then you go to Guardians and they start in typical Guardians fashion where they bring in the music first. So it's like you have Earth in peril and it's juxtaposed against these guys who are just up in space, still partying, still singing as if nothing's wrong. Right. So we do see the Guardians traveling through space to uh, the rubble of the Asgardian ship when they intercept Thor, who is unconscious, before being awakened by Mantis. Uh, Gamora explains that Thanos has an obsession with wiping out half the universe and will stop at nothing to get all six Infinity Stones. I think that some of the best comedy in this movie mm -hmm. is in this scene between Star-Lord and Thor. I love the fact that Star-Lord, Peter Quill, is still kind of like self-conscious, especially with Gamora, once Thor enters the room. And the things that Drax says about him, what was it? A pirate, pirate angel? A pirate angel. Like, everything about it is so funny to me. And I, I just love that Quill, he he deepens his voice and he's trying to be macho. Meanwhile, they're calling him fat and he needs to work out. Everything about this, this was everything I was looking forward to building into this film. This was kind of the moment I was waiting for. It's funny to me because when Chris Pratt got Star-Lord, he beefed up for that role so much and he really worked out. And I, I forget how many pounds of muscle he put on, but when you put him next to Hemsworth, like he pales in comparison. Yeah. I really, I love the comedy in this scene too. And there's a great little throwaway line that, uh, some people don't, didn't hear in the theater because, uh, everybody was laughing at what was said before it where, uh, you know, after they told star Lord, you know, he was fat and all that. And He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a Bowflex, and I'm gonna get some dumbbells. And Rocket just says in the background, "You know, you can't eat dumbbells, right?" Yes. And I just think it's hilarious. I never heard that. 
I never heard that. I'm still, I thought it was funny because he says Bowflex because as Peter Quill, he's still stuck in, in the 90s, really. And going back to Drax, where he basically is like, he's like, no, you're a dude. This is a man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Drax is supposed to be a big, strong, you know, like intimidating guy, right? And he, even he is in awe of Thor. So that uh, that scene is just hilarious. Oh, it's yeah. an instant man crush. And the way Thor keeps calling Rocket Rabbit. Rabbit. Yeah. Rabbit. It's... And something just about the way he says Rabbit just makes me laugh. Yes. Um, you're the captain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Thor tells them he believes that Thanos is heading to nowhere to get to the Collector uh, in order to get the Reality Stone. So Thor and Rocket, along with Groot, go to uh, Nidavellir. I'm go- I knew I was going to butcher that one. Nidavellir. Nidavellir. I knew I was going to butcher it. Honestly, you're doing a million times better than me. I did not even know what the planet was until <laughs> it's kind of funny actually we we were watching the movie today and we paused it to order chinese food and you paused it like at the beginning of the scene so nidavellir comes up on the bottom and i was like oh is that how you spell it because with you know between chris hemsworth australian accent and you know this godlike quality he's giving thor i had no idea what it was called well, Nidavellir. I only heard it 11 times in the last hour leading up to this recording, <laughs> but thank you guys for helping me out and bailing me out on that one. They go to find Eitri and uh, get a new hammer. At least Thor says he needs a hammer. Obviously, we know at this point that's not what they make for him, um, but he needs it made so that he can defeat Thanos. You then go to Edinburgh, where Wanda Maximoff and Vision are sort of in seclusion where they're ambushed in an attempt to get the Mind Stone from Vision, but are saved by Captain America, Black Widow, and Falcon. They decide to go to Wakanda where they believe that they can safely retrieve the Mind Stone without killing Vision. I mentioned it last week when we talked about Age of Ultron. Um, I gotta be honest with you. As much as I like a lot of the changes that they've made and a lot of how they have you know, given these characters a lot of character development, a lot of character arc moments, I miss the Stars and Stripes. There's just something about Captain America in that uniform that, while it's not a bad uniform, I don't feel like it's Captain America anymore. And I might be in the minority on that, so I'm interested to see what everybody else thinks about that. No, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I miss, I miss the Stars and Stripes. You can still kind of see it, but it's like, you know, he don't, he doesn't he's not representing the U.S. anymore because he's wanted for treason. So, you know, I understand why it kind of looks the way it does. But you're going to see it again in Endgame. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. Plus, and you're going to get the old the old school shield back again, too. Yeah, right now he's he's nomad from the comics where he's not connected to uh, to the U.S. or anything. He's he's a rogue agent, essentially. But, uh, yeah, I agree, Jimmy. I, I think we're going to get the. Uh, well, I think the trailers kind of already hinted at it, but we're going to get the old shield back, and uh, it, it's going to be amazing to see him back in full full costume. I, I mean, it definitely lends to the scene, but I feel like it kind of lends to this new regime of Avengers because the cap is not with, like, your core four, if you will. He's not with Iron Man. He's not with the Hulk. He's not with Thor. So I, I think it kind of shows where he's at as far as working with the new kids. Honestly, that doesn't bother me nearly as much as the Scarlet Witch in the scene. We had talked about it last week, and I will reserve my thoughts on 
casting in Olsen in this movie because Lord knows I already ripped it apart in Age of Ultron. However, I like that they kind of dropped the gothic witch thing that she had going, but they also dropped her accent. Like, what happened between the two movies? Where did it go? Yeah, that kind of stood out to me. Unless there's a reason why she went from having a thick Russian-esque accent to having a Midwest accent. I mean, I, I don't know. Unless unless you guys know something that we're missing. I, I got nothing. Uh, I mean, two years have passed. She's been hanging out in more Western countries. We'll just go with that. Okay. I'm chalking it up to the family can't act. Moving on. Yes. See, well, then you and I must uh, like. Uh, I love Scarlet Witch. I think she's great in in this movie. I don't want to say so. She was good in Civil War, and I liked her in this one. I think she's. I think she's pretty great. I will say this. I feel like Elizabeth Olsen embraced the character a little bit more. I think that in her movement there was a lot more power than there was in Age of Ultron. So I'll give her that. I guess I can I can immediately rule out one of the Disney Plus shows that you will not be watching when the network launches in November. You got it, dude. Okay. I will, you, 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 had, you really just said that. Let me, I, I, I can tell you she's been sitting on that all day. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that uh, the one thing, and Jimmy and I have talked about this, I never bought the love story between the two of them. Yeah. Yes. Scarlet Witch. I thought uh-huh. it was a little forced, like it came quick. They hinted at it slightly in the last film, but I, I just thought like it was like, oh, you guys are a couple. OK, I, I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like it felt forced on me. But outside of that, I, I do like that scene. I definitely agree with you there. I mean, it definitely they, they deliver on it in the end. It kind of does come full circle because, you know, before Thanos comes down and this is the last stone in play that he has to get. She, she's forced to kill him. I know we're jumping ahead a little bit here. Um, so I think it definitely works story-wise for that. But yeah, just for her falling for someone that's not... I mean, he's not really a robot. And they, they, there was the whole thing where he's made from tissue. And I don't know. I guess I don't really consider Vision a full-blown person. So I guess that's where it's jar- jarring for me. I guess he's more humanoid than anything else. But he is part computer. I mean, that's... He was Jarvis. Jarvis became Vision. But what what's interesting here is because you're right. She's she her power is that she can read the mind. Mm-hmm. But in his case, I mean, he does think for himself. The program it 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 took its own life force. And I guess in a weird way, maybe that's where there's that attraction because. He's so unique. He's not like anything else that that she's ever been able to read before. Is the only thing I can think that maybe is why that would make sense. But I agree with Frank that it sort of does come out of nowhere. It's almost like her, that Joaquin Phoenix movie. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for falling for the, uh, you know, your smart device. Like, I wish I had a Jarvis and I could just be like, oh, Jarvis, take care of this. But like... I don't, I don't really need him to do anything else. You don't want us to get an Amazon Echo Dot because you think that Amazon's listening to us all the time. You want Jarvis in the room to do whatever you want? They are listening all the time. Watch what you say. They are not. And now, now that we're recording it, God. 
I can't get I can't get an Amazon dot and order double A batteries on Prime, but we're gonna get a Jarvis in the house. Let's see how long that one lasts. So the next scene that you see is a flashback of when Thanos first meets Gamora as a child. He takes pity on her and gives her a knife and explains how it's perfectly balanced and he shows her how to use it. It's all a distraction while his army kills her family and destroys her civilization. Back to present day, Gamora asks Quill to kill her if Thanos ever gets to her because she knows something that Thanos doesn't and she needs to protect the universe and Quill reluctantly agrees. And the power of that scene is immediately erased and appropriately erased when Drax has been standing there for an hour. <laughs> I, I can't understate how much I love Dave Batista in these movies. And I got to tell you, I give Dave Batista a lot of credit because this guy went to acting classes. He took this so seriously. He wanted it so bad. He wanted it so bad. And obviously, we all know Peter Gunn is back for Guardians 3. But James. I mean, what I say? Peter? Yeah. Okay. Hey, who's Peter? I don't know. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I think because I'm thinking Peter Quill. I don't know. Well, James Gunn is back for the uh, for the third Guardians movie, and he was willing to walk from the project, Dave Batista, if they didn't at least use James Gunn's script. He was like leading the charge on that. Yeah, and they they all signed that that letter and that petition. Um, but I think that he's great, and even better when you think it can't get any funnier. Here comes Mantis. Hi, Drax. I, I do like that Mantis, I love that Mantis got a lot more screen time in this movie and that she was more than just a background character. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I, I like Mantis and I, I like the way Drax would always put her down in Guardians too. Uh, I will say something Frank and I have spoken about is that a lot of uh, Drax's comedy in Guardians 2 felt very forced. Here it felt a lot more natural. Like Frank, how how did you put it? Like he was at- Drax is Drax is funnier when he thinks he's being serious. When he's like when he doesn't realize that he's the goof. You know what I mean? Where he's like, I'm confident, I'm invisible. You know that <laughs> yes. stuff is funnier than when he's talking about his enormous turds. You know what I mean? It's just it's a different kind of comedy where it's just more like he thinks he is. You know. Like in the first Guardians, they say he, you know, doesn't get sarcasm. It goes over his head. And he's like, nothing goes over my head. You know, it, that's the kind of comedy that works well for Drax. And then when it started getting kind of goofy in the second one, we didn't like it as much. He became more self-aware of, like, him trying to be funny in Guardians 2. Yeah. Yeah, and this one feels like it's kind of back to normal with him. Right. To me, you want to talk about perfectly balanced, though you go from being really, really serious to really, really funny. I mean, in the previous scene, or kind of in the same sequence, they just decimated Gamora's homeland, which that scene is brutal. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely brutal to watch. Um, Here's where I really want your guys' input, though, because this is where the story starts to fall apart for me a little bit. Gamora wants to go pursue Thanos so that they don't get the reality stone. But I feel like that was kind of the wrong move for her because she's trying to keep the soul stone safe. And what ends up happening is that he gets a two for one deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, like, I mean, she. I think she wants to be the one to kill him. But that's why she wants Peter to kill her if she doesn't succeed. 
Yeah, I, I think she knows that she has that she could be the one to kill him. Like she's the one that could get closest to him to to end it. And you know, she also says later in the film that there was a map and she burned it. You know, and that she doesn't think that he knows that. So in her mind, all all that she you know Thanos is aware of is that you know he wants his daughter back, not because you know she knows the location. Right, and and I agree with you, Frank, too. That I think in her mind, as you said physically she was the only one of all of them that could get close enough to get the deal done see that's interesting because i never realized that he genuinely wants her back and i guess because not to jump too far ahead but when they actually get the soul stone i kind of thought gamora knew that the entire time that she was going to have to be sacrificed and i no, thought that she that had no was idea. the thing that she knew that thanos didn't not that she was that's why the map that's why later on when he's crying, you know, she's essentially laughing at him because if she would have known that, that she had to be sacrificed, she would have known why or like, I, I don't know how to explain it. He, uh, she probably would have let him take Nebula at that point. Yeah. And not given up the location. Yeah. So upon arrival at Terran's collection, they see that Thanos is torturing Terran uh, before Drax is put to sleep by Mantis. He's looking to attack Thanos, and he's going to blow their cover. Um, Gamora then stabs Thanos, killing him, or at least she thinks that she's killed him, because while she mourns, we see that none of this is real, and Thanos is using the reality stone to alter reality because he's already been there. He's destroyed the collection and retrieved the stone. Quill fires his weapon at Gamora, but Thanos has turned the weapon into a bubble gun and leaves with Gamora. This scene shows total devastation. I mean, he just completely annihilates that collection. It shows how powerful Thanos gets with each stone. I mean, I think that's... You can't understate how much power each stone gives him. I mean, they had the throwaway line of, with two, he's the most powerful being in the universe. But every time he gets another one, it's just mind-boggling how much bigger, stronger, faster, smarter he, he gets. And it, he starts to develop into a scary villain. You know, it's not a horror film by any stretch of the imagination, but he becomes a very unsettling being because you start putting yourself in the mind of these characters. You start thinking now, how could you ever defeat this guy? It's a great reveal too, that he's actually got the stone and how the reality just kind of melts away. Yeah. I, uh, I remember the first time I saw this scene, like when he uses the reality stone on Drax and Mantis, first time he used it, first he used it on Drax. I thought he killed him. Like I thought that was just, Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, and then when he used it on Mantis, at least you got her blinking a little bit. And I was like, okay, so they're, they can live through that. You never actually see him get the reality stone. And I think, Frank, like the one thing I always wanted to see was how he got the power stone from Xandar. Like we never actually saw him decimate Xandar. I'm sorry. Was it this? Yeah, power, it? No, yeah yep. the power stone, right? You're right. Yep. Like, that was one scene I kind of always wanted, and I was hoping maybe it was a deleted scene on the Blu-ray or whatever, but it wasn't, because, you know, he just kind of randomly shows up with it in the first scene of this movie. Maybe that's how we can get our Ma movie. Maybe. Oh, there you go. I like that. 
I, I also think uh, later in the, or we've already talked about it, but the scene where, you know, they show Gamora as a child and how he basically is decimating her planet, that kind of hints at what it probably was like on Xandar when he came in there and just took the stone. True. Very true. So in Wakanda, we see that Bucky is alive and well and is equipped with a prosthetic arm to help join the fight. Back on Ma's ship, Ma is torturing Stephen Strange in an attempt to get the Time Stone, but he is stopped after he is, for lack of a better word, tricked into keeping an eye on uh, Iron Man while Spider-Man interferes and he's sucked out of the ship. And, and Stephen Strange goes, but uh, Spider-Man is able to catch Stephen Strange with his web because now he's in the Iron Spider outfit and they get him back on board and they weld the thing shut. The thing is, the ship is on autopilot and they really can't take control of it, so they decide to just let it take them where they need to go and they know that it's taking them to fight Thanos. We then see Thanos show Gamora that he has Nebula in captivity on his ship, and he tortures Nebula until Gamora tells him the location of the Soul Stone. I have to point out that Thanos' insanity is so clear here because he truly believes that he is righteous and that he's right by destroying so much in order to save the rest of the universe. I don't want to call it brainwash, This is more than just somebody that's killing for fun. This is somebody that's killing because they believe it's what they're supposed to do. And again, it keeps building to the nightmare that is Thanos in totality. I think um, I I 100% agree with you. Um, he's, He's got so much conviction because even Gamora says, you're crazy. And he's like, no, I'm the only one who sees this. And I'm the only one brave enough to do anything about it. And um, to what Jimmy and Frank said before, this is, I think, where really Josh Brolin shines the most. And this is what should have gotten nominated is that scene in particular. because He's he's just so committed to this idea. Yeah. And, and well, I think it's kind of telling, too, just like you, you watch the scene the first time and you, he gets you thinking like Thanos is kind of right. Yeah. Well, like, you know, I'm not saying I'd want to kill half of the universe, but. Like, you know, just he's making some very significant points. Yeah, he's uh, he makes you connect with him on a level to your point, Jimmy, where you're like, you know, it's I, and I'm not saying it's a good idea, but, you know, you can see his point of view no different than like Killmonger in, in uh, Black Panther, where, you know, you can kind of see his point of view, too. You know, it's like this villain where it's not just like, oh, I'm, I'm going to take over the world. That's my that's my ultimate goal. They actually have a real reason that is grounded and makes sense, even in a crazy way. You know who he reminds me of in this movie, and our listeners know that any chance I get an opportunity to bring Batman into a conversation, I'm happy. But all joking aside, he does sort of remind me of Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. Because... But, well... I was born in the darkness. (laughs) (laughs) But, But in a weird way... After Bane pontificates a little bit and he says, I'm, I'm giving the city back to you, it's he has this self-righteous Robin Hood thing in his mind that a lot of people side, kind of buy into the notion of it. Yeah, and then you unplug Bane and he goes away. Yeah, this I mean, guy doesn't. No, that's, that's yeah. the difference, is that in theory, you take this guy's glove off 
and you can beat him. But you can't take his glove off. That's the thing. They tried, and they came close. We'll talk about it in a few minutes when they tried to get the gauntlet off of him. But he's just so imposing. But as everybody has pointed out, in a weird way, he's endearing. And I think that the more that this movie plays on, you start to see him develop more as a character. You see more of his persona. You see more of his motivation. It's more than just pure concentrated evil. And I really love how, with every scene, not only does he get more powerful in terms of his strength, he becomes a more powerful character every time you see him on the screen. Just to uh, throw something out there where you said, you know, oh, you get the glove off him and you can defeat him. He wasn't using the glove against Hulk, and he beat the Hulk pretty easy. Yeah. So that's kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, thinking ahead, like, how are they going to be able to defeat this guy? Sure. Absolutely. Before we move on, I yeah. just have to say the reveal of how he has Nebula in this scene, brilliant. Because, you know, it looks like he just has her captured and then you see he's already torturing her just by rotating the camera a little bit. It's amazing. Right. It, it sort of looks like she's suspended in air, but as soon as it starts to pan, you see that she's actually in pieces. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So Thor, Rocket, and Groot arrive at uh, Nidavellir just after Rocket presents Thor with a new eye. Um, but we find that it has been destroyed. Um, after Thanos arrived there and had um, Itri make him the Infinity Gauntlet just before Thanos rendered uh, his hands useless. He basically said, they're your hands. I, I, I can't remember the exact line. I think it was something to the, ex- to the extent of they're your hands, but they only work for me. Something to that effect after he made him the Infinity Gauntlet. It's something like, uh, you can have your life, but I have your hands. I was right. going like to say, that. you're looking at me like I have the answer when we have the wealth of knowledge here. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, we've seen the eyeball thing in Pirates of the Caribbean before. I'm glad Thor got his eye back, but we've been there. We've done that. The difference was it wasn't up Rocket's butt. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but but I, I, you, you saw that setup coming a mile away, but it was still funny when they executed it. I love how they have this whole almost a subplot with Thor too because right now Earth needs him like more than ever so I think this was like the perfect sidetrack as far as oh I hear it it's nine (laughs) o'clock yeah sorry about that guys I told told you guys before we started I live about half a mile from where they shoot off the uh, fireworks in Magic Kingdom so uh, happily ever after started Yeah, Excellent. at the time of this recording, <laughs> the Magic Kingdom. I think Fire it started late tonight. I think it started at nine fifteen because like I just started hearing them. Yeah, because so. I did too. I was like, "What is that?" And then I remembered what you said. No, this is perfect. I this was is... I was watching the clock. Like, is it windy? What's happening yeah. right now? Is your roof caving in? <laughs> no, enjoy, listeners. This is fantastic. Um, but anyway, yeah, I I think they gave Thor like the perfect reason to be away and why he's away for so long. It just, it works really well in this case. And like, and for Thor to be away and like not to jump ahead too far, but to the best entrance the MCU has ever done after he gets Stormbreaker is like, I still get goosebumps when I watch that scene. Especially I I love how they did it. And he looks so much more comic booky in that part like it almost looks like a splash page the way that they animate him it's crazy so well done 
Yeah, and I, I will say there's a great scene right before they get to Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, it's even hard for me to say. Um, that, uh, you know, between Rocket and Thor where they're talking about, like, what he could lose. And I really like that scene between the two of them, you know, where you really get to see Hemsworth, you know, act, if you will, you know, where he's like, you know, uh, you know, Thanos has never fought me. And Rocket's like, yes, he has. He's, well, he hasn't fought me twice, you know, and just it, it's a, it's just a great scene right there, too. So Right. And, and another scene where they subtly play in the humor where Rocket's like, I could lose a lot of things. I got a lot I could lose. <laughs> see, I don't know that that's humor. I think we're actually seeing a little bit of emotion from Rocket. It's hard to hard to say. I I, yeah. I kind of read it's it a little both. Yeah, yeah. I you know what it is. I think that was a scene where he's hiding truth and sarcasm. Mm. I think he's sort of using it as a defense mechanism because that's just him. He's that sarcastic character that's too cool for everyone else, and he's smarter than everyone else. But he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to lead that on. He doesn't want them to know. Right. You know, it's like that peek behind the curtain. Um, so Nebula escapes captivity and heads to Titan. Stark, Parker, and Strange then crash land on Titan themselves. We mentioned before, bouncing back and forth, this is where it really starts to pick up. So the pacing yeah. at times is a bit jagged. And I, I say that this is a movie for so many reasons. Forget just the Easter eggs. Forget a lot of the lines that you miss because people are laughing, you know, or just the general distractions that happen in a movie theater. This, because they cut back and forth so much, is the number one reason why I think to really get a feel for this movie and follow it the way that it should be followed and to give it its due, I think you have to watch this movie quite a few times because admittedly, I really didn't like this movie the first time that I saw it. But by the time I had seen it, say, four or five times, I really started to see the brilliance of this film. And I was sort of late to the party on that one, and I admit that. But I think this is where, upon a first viewing, if you felt that it was really kind of getting jumpy, this is where it starts to happen the most. Yeah, especially because now you've got Tony Stark and Star-Lord kind of going at it. They're having a snark off as soon as they meet. And that's where you really see the world start to come together. And, uh, well, and another thing, like, Sean, how you said, you know, at first you didn't really like it. We have a friend that didn't like it either. Uh, our friend Lewis, but um, I think what a lot of people, you know, they went into it expecting an Avengers movie, and yes, the Avengers were in it, but this was a Thanos movie. They were setting up Thanos to get you to essentially hate him, you know, and make him that monster villain that you hadn't seen yet. Great point. Yeah, to look at it as more as more about Thanos and the Avengers. That's a really, really good point. I think. And and I think you put it very well, Jimmy. My issue with it, in retrospect, and it makes a lot of sense, you know, now how they, they did everything and knowing that this was a Thanos movie. But at the time, I remember thinking, we've been watching these films for 10 years up to this point, waiting for this film to happen. And never do you see all of them. And I, I am jumping ahead a little bit here. But you never see all of them together in the same place at the same time. And I think that's where I was kind of like, but I was waiting for it. Obviously, we're going to have it in Endgame. Um, and that's what it was building up to. But I think you're right. People heard Avengers and they thought they were seeing a quote-unquote Avengers movie, much like the first one and then Age of Ultron. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I, I can see that point of view 100%. And, you know, honestly, I didn't have that feeling with this film, but I'm sure it's probably the next film you're going to talk about with uh, 
Captain Marvel. I had that feeling with that movie. Where when I saw Captain Marvel, um, I did not think that she could take down Thanos. And I was a little let down by what the film was. But now going back and thinking about it and everything else, I, I understand it's about the, you know, uh, about her evolving her emotional connect, you know, and finding her past and all that. But when I first went into it, I was like, there's no way she's taking Thanos. So I was let down by it. So I could see the same thing with this. Interesting. And you know what? I think that as these films go on, because we know at this point that the films as they release are not linear in the Marvel timeline. So I'm interested to see where, by the time we get to, say, the second and third Captain Marvel movie, if they are going to build her up into what we're going to see in Endgame. Yeah, very well could happen. Yeah, and, and there's also, to your point, there's 20-something years in between her movie and, and Endgame, so she's also learning her powers and developing. Um, so the Guardians arrive uh, to battle Thanos, but momentarily they battle Stark, Parker, and Strange. Back on Nidavellir, uh, Itri unveils the Stormbreaker mold and tells Thor that he must wake in the heart of the Dying Star to move forward with the production of the Stormbreaker, which is going to be Thor's axe. Back on Titan, Doctor Strange sees 14,605 versions of the fight against Thanos, and only one of which they can win. On Vormir, Thanos and Gamora come across Red Skull, who tells Thanos that in order to get the Soul Stone, he must sacrifice what he loves. In other words, a soul for a soul. And so. Can I just chime in here for a second? You see Red Skull, like, it, I, I turned to my friend Pete and I started, like, hitting him. Like, <laughs> oh my god, we've got Red Skull! Like, I, I, I lost my mind. You know, I think I, I think I had the same reaction with you, Jack, when we saw this movie the first time and Red Skull came on scene. Frank, how were you when you saw him come back? Yeah, I, I looked over to my son and I think I shook him crazy. He probably thought <laughs> I was I was like, it's Red Skull. So Thanos sacrifices Gamora and gains possession of the stone. I love this scene so much. And what I love is that we see that as crazed as Thanos is, that he truly does love Gamora. And the look of shock on her face when she realizes what's going to happen, and more so when she realizes that he isn't totally selfish and about himself that he does have the capacity to love someone other than himself it sells this scene and it's probably for me this is the best part of the movie see to me i I don't know i mean it it plays really well but because of what i had mentioned earlier where i kind of felt like gamora knew this the entire time um i don't know i i don't know that Thanos truly loves her. I think that he loves power, and I think that this was just another means to an end. I think what, he's sad, but I th- I don't think that there was ever a question in his mind that he wasn't going to do what he needed to do. I, I've always gotten the impression that of all the children of Thanos, Gamora was the one he actually did care about. You know, even when he talks about you know the Maw dying later, you know, he's like, "Oh, today takes a terrible toll." But the idea that Gamora is his favorite. He even says favorite daughter sometimes. Mm. And I think he even hinted at in Guardians 2 where Nebula and Nebula and Gamora are talking. And, um, you know, they, they have action. They talked about the past with, with Thanos and how he's speeding down Nebula, but, like, Gamora is rewarded. So I always felt like there was that 
love or connection to that. And I think that scene where you see him with her as a child helps emphasize that. See, and like, uh, what? why I like this scene is because, yes, you see how much Thanos loves Gamora as his favorite daughter, but it also just goes to prove how much he believes in what he's trying to do. Yeah. That he still had that he was still okay with sacrificing his favorite daughter to get the soul stone that he needs. What I love so much about this scene as well, there's two other things that stick out in my mind. The CGI on Thanos specifically in this scene is phenomenal because he emotes so much. I totally buy every emotion that's going through him because you see him mourn, but then when he gets the soul stone, He's so content, and it's sort of eerie how content he is. But I think my favorite thing about this scene, more so than anything else, and we know that the music in these Marvel movies is fantastic, but the score in this scene... Yeah, it's really good. It, mm-hmm. it, it within itself gives so much emotion, and it adds so much to the scene. I think it drives home the point, too, that Quill should have killed her when she asked him to. And I think she's kind of realizing that in in the moments before her death too, is that she wishes that she would have been taken out then so that he never got the stone. Of course. And we know that he tried, but that reality stone turned his weapon into that, that little water pistol. Right, um, he actually would have done it. And he would well, then it, it does it even in this scene too, when she tries to kill herself with the knife that he gave her. Right, right. And it kind of turns to bubbles again. And, you know, we didn't really talk about it in that scene, but what a character arc for Peter Quill. Because mm. you never you never thought that he would actually go through with killing Gamora. But when he pulls the trigger on that, that is such a huge moment for Peter Quill as a character. And I think that it's understated. I think for her, too. I mean, we haven't reviewed Guardians yet, so we really haven't gotten into Gamora. But... Um She's been a strong character throughout, and she goes out on top. We then see Captain America, Falcon, Black Widow, Banner, Rhodey, Vision, and Scarlet Witch arrive in Wakanda, and they are uh, reunited with Bucky. Thanos' army then arrives to attack Wakanda right as Shuri begins to extract the Mind Stone from Vision so that Scarlet Witch can destroy it. I think it's it was such a smart choice that they brought the battle to Wakanda because in the first Avengers, we saw them tear apart New York. In Age of Ultron, we saw them tear apart, I want to say Slovakia, and that's wrong. No, it's a Sokovia. Sokovia, Sokovia thank you. Um, so I feel like if it was, you know, another big city, it just would have felt been there done that a little bit and especially because Wakanda has all this amazing technology they're really ready for this battle well it it goes back to that juxtaposition too of Wakanda is a beautiful and peaceful place so to bring this mayhem into it is perfectly juxtaposed against each other Mm -hmm. well and also it's like you you have to think about since they're bringing it to Wakanda like Wakanda's kind of shielded from the public so you know they're sparing uh, civilian lives in doing this. Right, which is what they've been trying to do the entire time. That was a huge point of contention in Age of Ultron. So now they've kind of addressed that, yeah. And they're, they're really shielding Earth from how horrible it can be because uh, that's the other thing. Earth doesn't really know about Thanos. Oh, big finale. The finale. There it is. <laughs> 
Oh, so back on Nidavellir, Thor and Rocket restore the mechanisms to build the Stormbreaker and awaken the star, leading them to the creation of Thor's new axe. Back in Wakanda, a battle ensues as the allies of the Avengers look to hold off Thanos' army long enough to extract the Mind Stone. On Titan, Thanos arrives and is attacked by Iron Man, Spidey, Star-Lord, Drax, Doctor Strange, and Mantis. However, they are outmatched, and Strange eventually does give up the Time Stone to Thanos. Can I just say, one of my favorite scenes here is when Thanos uses the Infinity Gauntlet to pull down a freaking moon yes like you learn how powerful he is when he does that and i love tony's line of retaliation when he finally like gets his composure back and he's like if you drop a moon on another moon on me i'm really gonna get angry or something to that effect yeah (laughs) i also want to touch on groot's pivotal moment in this scene when he lends his arm to the uh to the stormbreaker the stormbreaker I love that, you know, Groot has been this moody teenager throughout the entire movie. And, you know, he, he gets to have his comeuppance at the end and redeem himself to be the Groot we all know. And he's still the hero. He always gives up himself for the greater good. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, I think Jimmy and I have talked a couple times. We miss grown up Groot. We haven't yeah. seen him in one. You know? and, yeah, uh, I'm ready. I'm ready for like Guardians Volume 3 where he's like a fully grown up Groot again. Yeah. But, you know, the, the scene on Nebulier also, um, it also shows the power of Thor, right? I mean, yep. he's, he's taking the full brunt of a star, holding it open, which almost kills him. And there's a great line, too, where he's like, you know, what you means. <laughs> he's like, only if I die. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say that's one of my favorite things in this, too, is that. Peter Dinklage is playing a giant dwarf, which makes no sense. But or just saying those two words together makes no sense. But uh, you know, he finally gets to play a part where he's bigger than everybody else. Yeah, that was, but that whole scene is, is great. You know, again, it just shows how powerful Thor is because you've seen other people out in space. You know, Ebony Maw, uh, Yandu. When they're all out in space, they die. Very but, true. Uh, but you know, Thor is basically just like hanging out. He's He's pulling, you know, the rings apart. He's, you know, holding that thing open. He's taking the brunt force. So uh, just, just a great scene there. And then obviously, you know, you get some more Quill again. Where, you know, if he doesn't lose his 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 cool, you know, maybe the movie ends there. Maybe they get that gauntlet off. Right, and that was the closest they came to defeating him. But Quill goes rogue. That but part makes me so angry. I'm like, yeah. I think it made him. every single person angry. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yes, you lose the movie because then Thanos does not get to snap his yeah. finger. Like, I get it, but oh man, it, it's just stupid ego that gets in the way more than anything else. You know what line I love in this scene so much is when Iron Man is fighting. Um, Thanos and he's throwing everything he has at him and they really are putting the fight to him for for a period of time and Thanos just kind of wipes his face and looks at him and goes all that for a drop of blood yeah that's my that is without question my favorite line in this entire scene because he doesn't even say it with arrogance he says it with confidence Mm -hmm. and he knows he's got them against the ropes that could be the line of the movie or at least the line for his character. Like, if you had to sum him up in one thing, I think that's it. Yeah, I agree. It's it's just such a great line. It's like, you know, and it's the tiniest little scratch, too. It's not even like it's a big cut. 
I want to hit on to, you know, we talked about it before is that, you know, everything is kind of coming together now and there is a lot of back and forth. We're going from Thor, we're going to Wakanda, we're going back to the battle with Thanos. Uh, but to me, this is where it still kind of falls victim to walking dead syndrome and how you've got everybody displaced. Um, I think that's because you've got Iron Man up against Thanos himself. And I really like that they gave Tony his due almost because he was, I mean, all right, yes, Captain America is the first Avenger, but Iron Man was our first movie. So I love that he was essentially the first superhero in the MCU and now it's come full circle and and he's hanging in there till the end. To me though, I kind of miss the core four fighting together and I really think that Spider-Man has no business in space. Like, we haven't really hit on that yet. I understand how he got there. And I know that with the Spider-Man movies, they're kind of doing this passing of the torch between Tony Stark to Spider-Man. But I just feel like he's so out of place here. Yeah, but in a weird way, I think that's what I like about it so much is that it's sort of subtle comedy. It is with the back and forth with Quill because they can kind of throw the same movies at each other and know what the other one's talking about. But other than that, it's just like, I, I don't know, your your webs don't match up against the space guns. Yeah, I, I also think he's there for later. For the Yeah, he's there for what happens. He's right. For the yeah, because that is brutal. You're right. He goes out and it's really sad. That's the ultimate failure of Tony, not being able to defeat. That him. he didn't protect him. Right. And that. That's what's going to drive him. Man, you guys are good. And then you get that line of, we're in the endgame now. So this is the second Avengers movie in a row where the line endgame has has been used. We talked about it last week, how you did get it in Age of Ultron as well. Uh, Thanos arrives in Wakanda to take the Mind Stone. Um, Scarlet Witch destroys it, but Thanos uses the Time Stone to turn back time, and he instead obtains the stone and adds it to his gauntlet. Thor attacks with the Stormbreaker and plunge, uh, plunges the axe into Thanos's chest, but Thanos tells him he should have went for the head, and he snaps his fingers. Uh, we flash to that, that scene. We all know that what-did-it-cost scene. Mm. where you have Thanos talking to the child version of Gamora. And when she says, what did it cost? And he said everything. And I don't want to, um, I don't want to sell the child actress short. Yes. She's really good. The one that plays Gamora. She's really good. I hope they do more with her. Like in either Guardians 3 or in Endgame. I hope we have more flashbacks. So Bucky, Black Panther, Groot, Scarlet Witch, Falcon, Mantis, Drax, Quill, Doctor Strange, and Peter Parker all turn to dust after Thanos snaps his finger. And as you guys pointed out, this is why Peter Parker was there. And you can see the pain in Tony Stark's eyes when he disappears. I will say, though, and I love Tom Holland. I think he's leaps and bounds better than Andrew Garfield um, in terms of these more modern Spider-Man movies. But his line of, I don't feel so good, it's a little corny, and it's just, he's a, he overacts just a little bit here. And I think that... I don't know, see, I, I, I dug it. Like, I, the, the entire, like, dusting of Peter Parker, like, I, I just love the whole scene. 
Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and agree with Jimmy on that one because the the I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to. You forget this kid was on his way to MoMA on a high school trip. He's a kid. He's just a kid. Like yep. he doesn't. He doesn't. He's not some grizzled like battle veteran. Like you know, kind of like Captain America or Tony Stark is. Like he's still kind of new to the game here, and he you know he doesn't know what's happening. You know, technically he's a 16 year old boy. Yeah, I could. I can see that you can see the fear in his face. You know, it's just he's already seeing people dusting and then all of a sudden he doesn't feel good and he's got that panic. I could say, you know, even Quill is like he, he can tell it's happening to him. He's just like, oh, man, yeah. you know, like, like oh, that sucks. But, you know, like you could tell Peter Parker is scared for his life, literally. So. I also think there's an element of him not seeing this coming because he just wants to play with the big boys so bad and he wants to be an Avenger. I don't think up until this point he realized that that could mean actually laying down your life. You know, he's, he does grasp it in terms of when he tells Tony before, I can't be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man if there's no neighborhood. But I think he does kind of have uh, like like a hot-headed teen's point of view of like, I'm always going to save everyone. And he kind of feels like he's invincible. So Thanos on a distant planet smiles as he watches the sunrise and that's how the movie ends. And we get the post credit scene where it's total mayhem. Uh, Agent Hill turns to dust and Nick Fury turns to dust just as he's using the beeper to contact Captain Marvel. Um, I think that this was the perfect way to end that film with Thanos watching the sunrise and he slowly starts to smile, but you never see the smile fully come over his face. Oh, I call BS because you thought nothing about this was perfect the first time you saw it. No, I, I it's <laughs> no, it's it's one hundred percent true. But I I own up to the fact that I was not fond of this movie upon my first viewing. But the more that I've watched it, and I do, and I I should say my biggest mistake was that and we 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 talked about it last week how much they planted in Age of Ultron. I did not watch Age of Ultron before we saw Infinity War. I think that was probably my biggest mistake. And I went so far last week as to say that other than Infinity War, if there's one Marvel movie you need to watch before Endgame, it's Age of Ultron. Yeah, yeah it, it I might ground. say it's Civil War, but Civil Ultron War plays a big good. part. Yeah. Yeah, civil war. You, you kind of need to know why they've all broken up. Like, definitely, I I say you need to. I'd watch Ultron and then Civil War. Wait, they they broke up like the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great Thanks, Bruce Banner. I also, yeah, I, I do want to circle back to that for a second because I love that Banner almost becomes a superhero in his own right in this one. N- not that he's not, but like he has to figure out the whole thing without being the other guy. And I love that they didn't just stick him in a lab to like do battle, you know, and I, they could have easily stuck him with vision the entire time and they didn't. And because he's in the, um, the Hulk buster, the Hulk buster. Yeah. yeah I thought that was kind of cool that he's actually on the front line. I didn't think it was kind of funny. One little continuity thing. How did the Hulk buster armor get to Wakanda? They never really say. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Um, uh, what, what's the satellite's name um, that they call her? Oh, Friday? Friday. No, not Friday. He calls uh, Veronica. Oh, Veronica. That's there, yeah, there's a Friday and a Veronica. Veronica shoots it down. That's the Friday's word. the new Jarvis. Yes. However, I will say, if they really wanted the Hulk 
they could have just thrown Bruce Banner into the fray and the Hulk would have come out because he's not going to die. He's not going to allow himself to die. Probably. I think they're probably going to save it for Endgame. Like there's going to be a big deliverable on when the Hulk comes back. I'm sure it's not going to disappoint. To your point, though, before, I mean, I do agree with you. I didn't love this upon my first viewing. And I think that was because, A, there was a lot going on. And yeah, I could have done with a refresher course before we saw it. But I think the biggest thing to me, and this is probably an unpopular opinion, is that I wasn't sad when everybody disappeared. Like, is it sad? Yes, I'm not glossing over that. But I think because in the back of my mind, and, you know, I definitely want to hear your guys' predictions on this. I think in the back of my mind, Dr. Strange said, you know, when he looks into the future, there's only one possible outcome where the Avengers win this. And I think that's why he had to give up the time stone in order mm-hmm. for Tony to survive. I think that Strange knows something that we don't. And there's a part of me that doesn't believe they're all really gone. And I really do wish, as much as we had a lot of questions about Disney+, Plus, I wish Disney would have held their horses on this one and not released the information because we know, I mean, we've known about the Loki series for a long time, but now we know we're getting a Scarlet Witch series, we're getting a Hawkeye series. I just read today that we might be getting a a Hulk, She-Hulk series on it too. Oh, wow. So, I mean, you could make the argument for if it's not going linear and they're, they're doing like a backstory series, like, okay, fine. But I almost feel like we kind of know who is going to survive because they're going to have a series. Yeah. I and mean, that's the, the problem with to commit. Yeah. That's the problem with sequels and stuff. Like, you know, there's another black Panther movie coming out, you know, there's another right. Spider-Man movie coming out right. two months after Endgame does. So like, I was never sad that the characters were gone, but I was shocked. Like, I was like, wow, you guys just kind of killed off a lot of people. Like, I mean, killed them off. But not that anybody can see me making my air quotes right now. But, like, you, you know, <laughs> they're they're shocking that they're not going to be in this next movie. I mean, for, I'm assuming, a majority of it. Yeah. And it's a comic book movie. So, you know, that's coming from comic books. No one ever is dead in comics, right? They're going to come back in some way, some shape, some form. But, yeah, I mean, you guys are right. There's, you know, the, the whole sequel of all of it. Unfortunately, the, in the time we live now, everyone wants to, you know, all the release dates are put out, you know, a year in advance. You know, there's Doctor Strange 2 and Guardians 3 and all that. So it does kind of ruin it a little bit in that regard. But it'll be interesting how they bring them back. So we gave our little guesses for what we think is going to happen in Endgame when we had our buddy Pat here last week. So before we let you guys go, because we know we're just about out of time here, I want to hear your predictions uh, for Endgame. Who do you think is going to live? Who do you think is not going to make it? Um, let's start with Jimmy and then go to Frank. Um, I think uh, Captain is going to eat it. I think Cap's gone. Uh, I think Tony Stark is gone. Um I, for a while, I thought Thor might have been gone, but after Ragnarok was such a success, I think he's going to stick around and he's going to get another solo movie of his own. Um, I really think those are really the only two big ones, uh, and obviously Samus is going to die. But, um, yeah, Cap uh, Cap and Tony Stark are my two big ones. Yeah, um, I also think Cap is probably going to go. Um, there's, there's a ton of theories out there of what could happen someone some theories i've read have said that cap maybe gets 
sent back in time and he gets to live with Peggy and have a little happy ending. But we'll see if that something like that happens, because there's going to be a lot of time playing in this next one, you know, especially with Ant-Man and the time vortexes and the the quantum realm and all this kind of stuff. It's going to get crazy. But I really think I agree with Jimmy. I think I think Iron Man is gone or if he's not, he retires. He is no longer an Avenger. He's done. Mm. But I think for an actual I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with Iron Man retires. Cap dies. And I think because Thor is, you know, more uh, dimensional or uh, planetary, you know, he goes to other you know realms and everything else. He, he's one that can just disappear and you don't have to worry about killing him off to keep the, the MCU fresh. You can bring Thor back in whenever you want because he doesn't live on Earth. Sure. So thank you guys so much for yes, coming on with you. us. Uh, we know we've been working on this with you guys for a couple of months now. I'm so happy that we finally got you guys on. We'd love to have you back again, you know, and, and discuss a, f- a future film with us. But before we let you guys go, I would like to give you the opportunity to plug some of your social media and where your show can be found. Sure. Thanks. Um, so you can find our show on iTunes and uh, Stitcher and Google Play Music and all that other stuff. Uh, it's just thedopeydudes.com. Uh, we have a website that is terrible. It's thedopeydudes.com. Um, we're more active on Facebook. We have a, a Facebook uh, page that is uh, facebook.com backslash thedopeydudes. And we also have a group where we'll interact with our listeners. Uh, that is, again, facebook.com backslash groups backslash thedopeydudes. You can find me personally on Facebook uh, at facebook.com backslash Jimmy Styles. And I am on Twitter and, and, and Instagram at Jimmy underscore Styles. And Frank, what's your Facebook and everything? Uh, I am on Facebook at backslash Frank A. Hart. Uh, otherwise, you'll get my father. And uh, He tells some mean dad jokes, too. He does. So if you want some dad jokes, just skip the A. And, <laughs> uh, and then uh, on Instagram and Twitter at FrankHart31. Okay, great. Well, thank you again for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. Enjoy Endgame. For Jimmy and Frank and Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.